All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we are joined for like the 37th time by our good friend, Dr. Pete Enns. How are Yay you, sir? for me. It hasn't been that many times, it's, but it's been several times. It's a lot. Like it's, we've been through this a few times. I know, I you, know. You were like one of the first people, because I remember we did multiple episodes know, yeah. before I moved to Austin, and that was seven and a half years ago. So, Right. I mean, it might have been as early as 2014, I think, probably, yeah. which is now nine years ago. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. when I, that's the first year I did the podcast. Did you go back and look that up, or did you just know 2014? No, I just know because we... No, because that's when um, the Bible tells me so came out. Yeah, that came out in like in September. That came out like in September, and I think we we had a we had a we, podcast that fall or something. Probably we talked uh, like I talked with your guy Jared on the phone. We shared some information like how to record. Pod- I remember doing that. Yeah, yeah. I so I I have a list of podcasts that I've talked to people like before they launched them, and I f- I consider them like my. Uh, like my pod plants, you know, church have churches have okay. church plants. So, I mean, there's a yeah. lot, like there's a lot of my pod plants and you're, you're definitely a very successful one. So congratulations on yes, being my yes, favorite child. You. Yeah. <laughs> Your pastor children yeah. as we are. You know, Rob, Rob Bell actually said that on a podcast that after I did a podcast with him, when like the Zimzum of love came out a decade yeah. ago, that yeah. he said, oh, I went home and talked. I was like, maybe I should do this. I should do this. And he said that once on my podcast, like the next time we were talking. And I've heard him like talk to Oprah and other other people. And my name's never mentioned there. Like it just doesn't, yeah, no, yeah. it never comes up again. So <laughs> some of my children don't like, they forget me. So they forget like our own children. They leave yeah. and they forget us. Yeah, and, exactly. You know. Exactly. Uh, you're back on the, the podcast. You've got a book. Uh, mm-hmm. it's a baseball theme, like God thing. And you mix baseball and God together curveball, Like that's you. Like this is, this yeah. is your lane. And in the years of doing podcasting, I've occasionally had a guest who would come on and they had a book that had some metaphor that that was their kind of like they were working with it. And I tried to engage with them about the metaphor they used one specific time, an author that, you know, that I'm not going to say his name had a book that compared skinny jean pastors to those with like khakis on and like those yeah. are the two compare and i asked him well in your preparation to write the book did you ever try skinny jeans on and he goes mm-hmm. look that's a silly question and then i was like well, it's your book like and then he, he just it just kind of all fell apart from there so if i that, make- that was walter brueggemann wasn't it? that was walter brueggemann no okay. I, I would never do that with brueggemann i would be too afraid of him have you ever have you ever had him on yours yeah, the first season. Yeah, he's yeah. amazing. Yeah, he's he he knows a lot, and he's written a lot, and he's well respected guy. You know. Yeah, but yeah. when it comes to baseball, curveball, like this is yeah. this is you. Like I know how like into the baseball you are. Hmm. I am. That's right. And so, I mean, I just like the metaphor because it's not just because it's baseball. I think it's sort of universally known. You know, like you know. Hey, that that was a real curveball. You know, people say that all the time. They sort of know what it is, but yeah. I tied it to my own baseball experience because it was out of a baseball experience that I had a real like early in my life a real curveball, a real unexpected thing happen. Yeah, you, know, you see what I did there. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's uh, you know, it's it's a helpful metaphor, and I, I think I do a good job of not overdoing it in the book. Like I don't say that was another curveball, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, but you didn't it, go too much. It out real quick. Yeah, yeah. But- what I was trying to establish for my listeners is that like you're, this is your authentic voice. 
Like you, you're yeah. very passionate about baseball to the point where I, uh, I've recently got a different vehicle and now it has the option to read aloud the text messages that I get. And so if I get a text while yes. I'm driving, I'll read it out loud, which is cool. But if you have your kids in yeah. your car and then you have certain friends who get really passionate about baseball and maybe Giancarlo Stanton's propensity to swing at pitches outside of the zone with colorful yes. language, you're introducing my daughters <laughs> to words that I'm not wanting them to know yet. And so the high school vocabulary. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we don't need an eight year old to have a high school vocabulary yet. No, no, not at all. I don't know who you're talking about, but um, yeah. <laughs> But I'm just saying, like, hypothetically, that's why I don't have that option turned on in my vehicle at this point. Good for you. Yeah. You got a new car? Uh, yeah. After 16 years, yep. I finally traded in and got a different truck. Yeah. Oh, good for you. Yeah. What kind of truck you got? Uh, not, I drive not a to divert toy- from my book. <laughs> what? <laughs> not to divert from my book, but what kind of a truck did I you I drive get? a Toyota Tundra. Oh, that you got a big one. Yeah. You're I, a big boy. I live okay. in Texas. Like, it's... Like, yeah, I know you have to. Yeah, it is. It you is, get run off the road if you drove like a Ranger. Yeah, no, they wouldn't. Or, uh, yeah. I would get fired. Or Tacoma. Yeah, yeah you okay. can't have that. Yeah. They don't. They don't. Want I hear that. you. You're contextualizing. Exactly. In the Good same. Way, in the same way that, uh, in a lot of ways, it's inspiration and incarnation. That's what I'm trying to do here. That's right. You're yeah. Incarnating yourself into your Texas. Yeah. Okay. Got t- it. Today, I yes. emailing with a friend. Her name is Brooke. Uh-huh. We're working on uh, some curriculum for our church, and okay. she sends me a uh, screenshot of uh, commentary, Book of John, and it was an mm-hmm. NIV application commentary, study application. Right. And I had this distant memory of you writing that edition for the NIV study application series for the Book of Genesis. No, Exodus. Exodus. Yeah, it was one of those. Right. One of those. Right. right. And uh, I think one time I texted you and said, hey, do you have a recommendation for a good commentary in Exodus? And you're like, hey, I kind of wrote one. Years ago, um, but that's not that's not really the lane that you're writing anymore. It seems that what you're writing these days has, uh, dare I say, taken a curveball from academic Pete, yeah. and now it's more. This is very autobiographical. This is more, uh, you know, you're still obviously a scholar, but it's spiritual guy. Like, how do you navigate the um, spiritual experience that many people are going through right now? What made you make right. that detour in your writing career? Um, I, I think I, I, I've always wanted to put the pieces of it all together. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, the whole reason I went to seminary and then graduate school was I wanted to understand what I said I believed. Mm-hmm. And for me, that meant digging into the Bible. But, uh, you know, there are deeper questions that, you know, exegesis doesn't address mm-hmm. like the nature of the universe, <laughs> things like that. And for me, I just sort of want to wrap my arms around it all and just take a stab at it. So, you know, this book is, I mean, there's Bible in it, yeah. but differently. And, but it's really a book about how I've come to understand God, which is always a work in progress. And, um, and, you know, what does it mean to have faith, the nature of Christianity, all those things sort of flow together. And it's just me talking about experiences that I've had that have brought me to a different kind of understanding of God and some of those other questions and not pontificating, not telling other people what they should think. You know, it's just, this is, this is my 
path. This is the journey that I've taken. And um, no, so I hope people can read it and say, yeah, that, that's helpful to me. I see that. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing, but some things may not be as interesting. I don't expect everyone to have a baseball story like I have at the beginning, and that's fine. But they have their own story. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tell the story about blowing an elbow um, after Chase college. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, it was before I got there, but I was, I was trying to throw yeah. at Chase Stadium with a bad elbow. And um, I probably use that metaphor more in the book. Like everybody has blown elbows. Everybody has that shocking moment or shocking moments in their lives, which don't have to be the most devastating things in the world. They can be almost mundane things, but they change everything. Yeah. You know, they change how you look at everything. And and as a result, I think people of faith will wind up um, – sort of mapping that onto their theology, you know, how you think about God. And and I think that's good. You know, I, I think that's not just good. I think it's unavoidable because our experiences do, in fact, affect how we think about God. Yeah. And and that's not something to be embarrassed about or to avoid. I think it's perfectly natural and it's fully to be expected. Mm-hmm. What else is there, you know, but yeah. our experiences? Yeah, for sure. For those who aren't baseball fans, you use the, the phrase disruptive experiences – also in the book, yeah. which if, if, you know, baseball isn't your thing, you can't jump into that. I think we all can jump into disruptive experiences as something that typically we think, well, if, if things aren't going the way I'm expecting it, this disrupts my understanding of who God is and how the world's supposed to work, then this is terrible. But here's a line from the book. My disruptive experiences are not outside impositions to or an attack on my faith, but are the soil out of which my faith matures and takes shape. Yeah. I mean, I still believe that. I'd say, like, you're agreeing with yourself. Coming up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh, that's great. I wrote that like two years ago, but good. Um, okay. Yeah. So here is, I think, one of the twists that a lot of people have to make uh, right away with faith is quickly we realize that outside impositions and disruptive experiences are the normative way of life. Like, that is just going to happen for every one of us. And mm-hmm. if we don't have a faith that, uses those or sees those not as like this is not an attack but this is actually the fertile ground from which my faith grows it's it's not going to work but we don't right. all have that it's a struggle for for most of us um what do you think allows our um our perspective to see those disruptive experiences as actually fertile ground for our faith to mature and take shape what allows that i i honestly i think it's being around people who get that and and they can support you in that moment. I don't think it necessarily comes naturally. Um, I also think, you know, I say being around people who get that, I really do think that just being familiar with biblical stories, you can see this happening all over the place. This isn't like, we're not unusual. I mean, sometimes we have this notion that the whole history of Christianity and Judaism has been pretty like, we've all pretty much believed the same things. And mm-hmm. if you do something... Um, if you if you think a thought that's outside of what people think is the norm, that's unusual. No one's ever done that. Um, but even within the Bible itself, you know, that's that was one of the topics of um, how the Bible actually works, which was my previous book, which I overlap for a few pages on that topic in, in this book too. But I think it's paying attention to the biblical tradition, which is a tradition. Mm-hmm. And also the Christian tradition, and then hanging around people who understand that more or less, and that could be reading books of people who understand it, or being in Christian communities, mm-hmm. or 
men's or women's groups or young adult groups or whatever. And and that to me, that's very, very helpful. And for for those who don't see that, I, I really don't think they can be forced into it yeah. because I think they'll resist that right away. And I understand that. I think you have to come to the place where you're ready to see it. I'm not sure if I was ready to see this in my 20s or 30s. But I began to see it in my 40s and in my 50s and now in my 60s. I'm like, well, obviously, <laughs> you know, that's that's sort of where I've come out. So um, what do you think yeah. made it difficult for you to see that in your 20s or 30s? Um, I think uh, just not having lived long enough and experienced things. I mean, some people in their 20s have experienced a lot and, you know, they're older souls, you know, so I'm just talking about myself. But for me. I think – I mean, what do they say? The first 20 years of life, you're pretty much ignorant, right? The next 20 years, I mean, you're you're busy playing the socially conscripted role that you're supposed to play. And then midlife is where you say, wait a minute. <laughs> Something's – I'm not even – I don't even know who I am right now. Mm -hmm. And you start making shifts. And I think – that was probably that's probably the answer. You know, I was so caught up in, you know, I got married. I was in seminary. I had a duty to perform. I went to graduate school. Had a duty to perform. I got out of graduate school. I started teaching. I was performing these tasks with actually very little reflection. And I, I guess you know, Luke. So many people have had the same experience. I mean, Richard Rohr talks about this too, but. You know, a little pain in your life makes you stop sometimes and say, wait a minute, my goodness gracious. And, you know, there have been a few things in my life, you know, which I talk about in other books, like one of my daughters yeah. uh, was struggling with mental health and she's wonderful now and the healthiest one in the family, I always say. But um, that was a difficult thing. And then struggling where I used to teach, you know, I was in a seminary and things ended very badly. And like my whole footing was taken away. That's in my late 40s. And I was at that point beginning to see, I think I've been playing a game a little bit here yeah. with things, mm -hmm. you know. You describe um, fear crisis model of faith, uh, also a <laughs> transactional model. Okay, there's a problem. You're a sinner. God hates sinners. Jesus makes God not hate you. So you're good with God. Things are great. Transactions complete. Make a good decision. This is the transaction that's afforded to you. Do you want it? Do you not? Okay. Um, that's a place where many people start, right? Like this sort of transactional faith. When you go through crisis, all of a sudden you realize I, I need something far more expansive than, than just that. Even if, if, if you're going right. to go with that transaction as though that's representative of what, you know, the gospels talk about. But mm -hmm. you realize, I, I need something bigger than this. And right. as Rohr has said, the, the way of transformation is the way of love or suffering. And most of us, it's through suffering. Without suffering, there isn't much transformation for any of us. And, yeah. but when things are going your way, and like, you know, you have the degree and you got the family and the kids that, you know, this is what I expected to have. And, you know, your career is going a certain direction and you're, you're progressing and you're writing books and you're writing commentaries. You can kind of just, keep playing the game, but life seems to interrupt that for, for all of yeah. us. And right. I, but I don't think we all listen. I think sometimes you can just not make a right. Just, I think we're trained not to listen. Luke. Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, I, I don't want to, that's, that's a very black and white, you okay. know, but, one brush. Stroke but that happens thing. to but a lot of us. I mean. 
happens to a lot of people. How, that how do many of us trained. get trained? How do many of us get trained to not listen? I, I think because we're trained um, to be to, to be Christian means to sort of support a particular system, yeah. perhaps. And, you know, to not wander off the beach blanket, to color mm -hmm. in the lines and things like – inside the lines and things like that. And that's what it means to be faithful is to not listen to your experiences, mm -hmm. to not listen to your intuitions and instead just stay with the program, sort of like being a good little soldier. And at some point that doesn't you know I, I don't know maybe the pain has to get so loud and that's different that volume is different for different people but and and you know I, there are people i know i mean like i said my mid late 40s is when i started finally oh gosh i I've, I've really been numb for 20 years other people have that realization much earlier you know and that's great and and my path was different because my family of origin was different because you know everything about me was different and that's me and i don't look down on that past. I don't, mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't dismiss it. I don't ignore it. I actually remember it. And, and it's helping me now in, in my, you know, later years. So, um, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. So it's, you're playing this, uh, we're in a system and we're supporting the system. It seems that part of the acrimony that you receive is by those who perceive that you are disrupting a system that's still working for them or that they don't have any interest in changing it. And so when you say certain things, yeah. no, this is what the Bible really means, or this is how it can work for normal people. And it doesn't look like how you normally interpret it. Like that's disruptive. And yes. part of the problem yeah. of someone listening to their experiences and understanding, uh, and here's a quote from the book, you're understanding not that God isn't real, but that my understandings of God wasn't adequate. And when Right. When you're, and here's the word that no one likes, or some people do, or people have a weird relationship with the word deconstruction now. Like when we first started talking about this a decade ago, yeah, people weren't talking about it. But now, like you talk about deconstruction, and it's like, oh, well, all of a sudden you mean ten billion different things instead of just going, wait a minute, there's a normal evolution of the way that you understand and engage with who God is. People did it all mm -hmm. through Scripture, and. Just because so and so yeah. is upset about it now, and they're talking about like you're right. not a real Christian if you've ever deconstructed, you're like, not like the disciples deconstructed what the Messiah was. Like that's just anyway, right. whatever. But I forgot where I was going. I got a little rant there. I got a little excited. <laughs> got a little animated. You did. You got into your pulpit. Man, pulpit. Pulpit. <laughs> pulpit. Don't, don't you say pulpit down there in Texas? I don't know what what accent was that. Pete, I don't, I don't know. know. I, I, it's it's a non-normal accent. Anything that's not Northeastern. Yeah, that was like, I don't know what that was. But, okay. How does that for being <laughs> insensitive? Um, anyway. Okay, so we're, disruption. That was, that's where we were going. Right. If, if we're disrupting this idea that my understandings of God aren't adequate, when you get the curveball, when you have to make the adjustment, when you have to go, okay, I need to have something more expansive. Right. But many of us can't, uh, here's a fancy word, bifurcate our understanding mm -hmm. of God and God. Right. And to because we've been taught not to do that. We've been taught to equate the two. Okay. And, and I think that's sort of a mark of, you know, let's say the more conservative Protestant iterations of Christianity, especially in the West. And because it's, it, it, this is largely an intellectual project. Mm-hmm. 
I think Western Christianity is, I mean, again, this is, I mean, a sweeping things. People can poke holes in it. But I'll stand by it. I think, you know, the, the dominant traditions that we deal with are intellectual movements. Uh, they're not very convincing intellectual movements as far as I'm concerned, but they still value having the right ideas and arguing for those ideas. And things that disrupt those ideas, even if it's God disrupting the ideas, you know, it's usually explained in some other way. Yeah. But it happens. You know, people... people um, finally accept the disruptions as normal. And it, by the way, not to, you know, drive the point home too, with too fine a point here, but those disruptions are the curveballs. You know, that's yeah. the things that just happen to us that we're not really planning on. They just sort of happen. And and we have to adjust. Batters have to adjust to a curveball in order to hit it. They can't swing the same way they would swing at a fastball or other pitches. Mm -hmm. So if you don't adjust, it's hard to keep playing the game. And I think the mature Christian life is about learning how to make adjustments. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of any aspect of life, not just religion, but how you think about math or English or science or parenting or children or mm -hmm. life or pain. And, and name your topic. You know, you, we, we, we adjust to new data. And like you're saying, that's that's part of the biblical tradition itself. This is not something that... You know, the, the the myth is like everyone's always believed the same thing until you guys came around. Yeah. All of a sudden you got a problem with I, – I was dealing with somebody today on social media. 2,000 years of Christian history said this. I said, man, you got to be careful saying that because anytime you say that, you dig a little bit, you realize it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. You know, and, um, and, and – but that's just the way that it is. And how do people get there? I think – it, um, you know, it's sort of like an alcoholic. You have to become sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, yeah. And at some point you realize, like, I'm miserable. I'm, I actually hate going to church. I hate, I hate all this Jesus stuff. It's just so dumb because I have to believe X, Y, and Z that completely and fully contradicts every shred of my experience. And I think if we don't listen to that, we're always going to keep God to a comfortable size, mm -hmm. which I think is the human tendency, including my own, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, it's, But that's why I wanted to write about this. Yeah. Huh? You definitely do that. Well, I that, don't. I don't do that. But well, you, I know you, you don't because you're a pastor. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Here, I'm just a professor. Yeah, you're just a <laughs> professor. Here's how you say that in the book. Here's the quote. As distinct as Judaism and Christianity have become, they are united, at least in this respect, both have a history of making adjustments to their shared sacred scripture in light of unforeseen, even paradoxical circumstances. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of Christianity as someone, as, as a group of people who are willing to say that the Holy Spirit can lead us to have an experience that changes a foundational understanding for us is something that we could transfer to our experience. And so I think you look at the book of Acts, obviously Peter eating unclean food is a story that seems pretty outdated and unrealistic to most of us, but it would have been a cataclysmic shift for them, a, a massive mm -hmm. curveball, massive adjustment. But they go through yeah. this process where they use scripture, scriptural background, they use his experience, they use discernment of the Holy Spirit's work amongst them. Uh, you have them doing some logic and right. reason together. All of those things are, are mm -hmm. part of this. Yeah. How do you think people should be able um, – let me say that better. How would you coach someone on how to make adjustments that are going to be 
um, done in such a way where you can go like, this is good for me instead of just going, well, I'm just chasing whatever whim and emotion I have right now, or I, I want this to be I'm, true. So I'm going to switch to that. Yeah. I think that's, that last part is the common criticism of what I'm talking about. You're just changing on a whim and things like that. Yeah. But, um, that's usually said by people who haven't passed through this. Hmm. Right. Because this is not, you know, I, I mean, I tell a, I tell a story of like this is again in my forties where um, I won't belabor this, but I was in a taxi ride in San Francisco, and I was gonna go to a church and to talk about God for the weekend and um, stop and go traffic, and I'm seeing all these people out there, and I don't know, my mind just started wandering because you know it's midday and it's like we're hitting every stupid light, and it took forever, like you know, stopping. I'm looking around. And I tried just guesstimating how many people are out there, and I could it was just too many. And then you know, I'm watching people leave their buildings, probably go to lunch. It was around lunchtime, and I'm like, there are human beings, and I wonder how many of them believe what I believe. And I quickly concluded, probably not too many. I wonder how many people would be interested at all in what I have to say about God. Probably not that many. Um, and I wonder what God thinks about them. And as I'm being driven, you know, to this hotel to go speak in this church for the weekend, I just, it just really hit me that I don't know if I know what I'm talking about <laughs> when it comes to God. I mean, I have such limited experience, and here I am, like, passing judgment on um on you know the population of San Francisco basically and it, i really felt i mean very convicted at that moment that i'm actually talking about things that are above my pay grade completely and that changed my view of god i said maybe god doesn't draw lines the way i'm used to seeing them drawn even if i didn't really like the lines very much I still sort of worked within that system of the lines. I just didn't think about it very much. But I think that moment in the taxi cab was like watching a couple of doors be blown open and saying, just walk outside and see a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's made me a bit gentler, you know, not not um, as interested in seeing where we differ so we can talk about that and just sort of letting people be people and and figuring that, you know, at some point, I have to believe that God is not like a checklist line drawer, you know, and 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 maybe I have a lot to learn about what God is like. Mm -hmm. Let me give you another quote for the book. This will be the last time. Did you actually read this, or are you just randomly thinking? No, I just had my friend Ashley just give me all right. Give me five lines from the book, and <laughs> she said, "Yeah, here here's five lines. I hate my boss. He sucks. I'm quitting." And so here's five for that loser that I don't want to work for anymore. <sighs> my ultimate hope for you is that you will find something here that will help you come to find a better God as you handle whatever curveballs you face. When I cursed God at age 11, side note for my listeners, he's 11, he gets a, a, a baseball game rained out, and he, he, he curses God. So at that point, you should have known this kid is going to be trouble. Um, I'm trouble. Oh, good, a theologian in the making. <laughs> this is fantastic. Uh, when I gave up... Uh, on the God of my baseball dream as a 21-year-old, because that's way too old for a scout to give you any time of day. 21, come on, we all do yeah, that. Yeah. Um, it's a baseball <laughs> reference. Sorry, listeners. Uh, 
Back to the quote, I gave up on a codependent deity invested in making sure that Pete's plan for Pete's life would have would happen just the way Pete wanted it to be in order to keep Pete from having bad feelings. All right. So you're trying to find a better God. Each iteration of who you saw God to be at that age um, was limited mm-hmm. by where you were in your experience. Right. Maybe this is the same question I just asked a second ago, and I want more. But the temptation has always been, like, God created humanity in God's image in the beginning. And ever since then, humanity has tried to return the favor. Right. Is there, how do we have some grounding to go, all right, so here's some sort of, like, tethering point or anchor to go, this is, this is something that we can all hold on to, and we're going to experience it differently, and it's going to all evolve and change. But there's something that kind of keeps it with... Like, this is what we're all saying is, like, the foundation of it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think that's a very interesting and important question. Um, that is not my center of gravity at this point in my life. Because I think, I, I mean, as unhelpful as it is for some people to hear, I, I think that what grounds us all and what connects us all is the experience of God. Mm-hmm. I, I and 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 our thoughts get to go along for the ride, and we call that theology. And I love thinking about this stuff and writing books about it, and even debating it or discussing it. But I try not to confuse those two things. That my God talk is a way of just capturing the essence of the Spirit of God that I think pervades all of reality. It's not. Can too you say bad that again? An, Can you say that last oh, line? I don't think so. Nope. You have, aren't you recording yeah, this? Fine. Okay, fine. Play it back. R- rewind yeah. listeners. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's sort of like, you know, maybe a marriage, for example, where, you know, you, you know, analyzing the nature of it and being able to articulate it in writing is very different than the actual experience of it. And, and I know that for some that might be really, I, I understand this. It's difficult to talk like that because we've been told for many of us, our whole lives, our whole Christian lives, your experience means nothing. Mm-hmm. Your experience is sinful. That's where Satan gets a foothold on yep. you. But what are we if not our experiences? Well, you just have to rely on the Word of God. Don't you realize that you read the Word of God out of your experience? Cultural and individual? I mean, your family history affects what you read and how you read it. That's it's that's why there's such diversity in theology, but Jewish and Christian for you know, over two millennia and more, because we're human beings. And I, I for me it was really a big shift to think in terms of maybe God actually values our experience. Maybe God mm-hmm. can use our experience as a way forward to just seeing like I say in the book, a bigger God and a better God, not, not the transactional God, not the God who's always angry, but maybe the God who actually is actually in some sense that we don't understand with us all the time, <laughs> not making cameo appearances, you know, and, and there are all sorts of reasons why I think that's probably true. And, you know, by the way, folks, there is not an original thought in this whole book. I mean, you know, uh, I, I hope that's going to comfort you. It's not... <laughs> I'm not like out there doing new stuff no one's thought of before. I'm actually, yeah. um, I'm leaning on people who have thought deeply about this after I came to it on my own. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have sort of developing thoughts and I said, well, there are other people who have thought this before and they're really good at saying it, you know? So 
Um, this isn't some wild notion that you have to be some crazy liberal or closet atheist to sort of talk about. This is this is very common in the Christian experience, what I'm talking about, mm -hmm. and it's very biblical. It's just something that we have been – we've been shielded from that, and I think in people's minds for good intentions because we want to keep you safe. Yeah. But then life happens, and all of a sudden you're not safe anymore. And what do you do? Mm -hmm. What do you do then? Those are big questions. Yeah. I like the comparison you made a minute ago about it's like a marriage where five years in your wife realizes that she could do so much better than you. And so she just <laughs> cries in the living room while you go, go to sleep. Um, <laughs> is, is that exactly what you're thinking about with that metaphor? Cause that's, that's where my mind went. Um, <laughs> here's okay. I, okay. I'm not going to do any more quotes in the book after this one. I promise. Okay. You can. Here's another big point I want to here, – here's your problem. You make too many of those like, hey, this is the big point. This is what I want for you. This is the main deal of the book. Like you do like yeah. enough of those and then Ashley's going to keep sending them to me. Uh, okay. <laughs> side note for my listener, Ashley is uh, Pete's sidekick who's leaving Pete because she could do better. Um, yeah. <laughs> so here's another big point I want to make. I she can. Too. All right. <laughs> she, uh, we're messaging back and forth a couple of weeks ago, Ashley and I, and she goes, uh, yes, I have a podcast. And she, oh, who are you? I was like, well, you know, Luke Norsworthy. Oh, oh, your podcast is so fun. She's never going to say that yeah. again. She's never going to say that after what just, what just happened. Know. Anyway. Um, yeah. So here's another big point I want to make. Adjusting our understanding of God is never about throwing it all away and starting from scratch. The wrestling happens precisely by bringing the old and new together somehow, bringing them into healthy, constructive conversations and exploring where all this is headed. That's what I felt like you were just saying, that you're not having original ideas, mm -hmm. which at first I thought you're like, hey, I'm just recycling my old stuff and this is a, no. a money grab and I just want some money and so I'm just putting all this old blog post out. That's what I, I thought you meant. But what you're saying no, that's not what I meant, no. is actually <laughs> what you prescribed at the beginning for if someone's going through like a deconstruction or, or an adjustment phase, uh, don't do it alone and listen to the wider community's voice. And I hear what you just said is right. like you're embodying that of going, wait a minute, there's actually a wider history if you go back to judaism right. go through christianity the early christianity to now like this is part of what it means to be people who wrestle with god the understanding of of israel being understood as people who come from from the one who wrestled with god jacob is that this mm -hmm. is part of what it means to navigate the relationship that humanity has with god right and you know i i think you know analogy comes to mind which i didn't use in the book it's like walking along a river and you know maybe some traditions are very content to walk ankle deep along the shallow part by the shore but then you start wandering away from that and you think well you're leaving the river you're not part of us anymore so no, i'm actually going i'm Deeper up to my it. waist now yeah yeah you know i'm actually I'm, I'm now underwater i'm swimming i can't stand on my own feet mm -hmm. i have to i have to sort of trust this river and and it gets bigger and and sort of nice but also sometimes a little bit dark and a little bit frightening but mm -hmm. you know it's it's not you know that's what it's not about i don't even use the word deconstruction by the way yeah. in the book that was very intentional on my part why um Hold on, why, why didn't you use but, it uh, i just because it, i think it's an overuse i think it's a good term mm -hmm. You know, I, I talk about it like in, and we talk about it in podcasts and things like that. But um, in the book, I didn't want it to be. 
another deconstruction book. I wanted to sort of have mm-hmm. a, a more um, not feel as trendy. I wanted to really anchor this in tradition mm-hmm. and in what D people think and dealing with things like signs and whatever. Yeah. But but the whole thing about you know you're not the struggle is because you are part of a tradition. Yeah. And by wading deeper into the river, you're still a part of the tradition. You're actually a part of a deeper part of the tradition than you were when you were content wading along on the shore in, in three inches of water. You're in the tradition. It's just, it's almost like too safe. And you're going to go through your whole life wandering along on the shore instead of like exploring the beauty that's maybe a little bit further away from your comfort zone. But it's, you're still connected to it, mm-hmm. right? It's, you know, I mean, I've never thought of myself as like, I am now leaving the Christian tradition because I think X. It's more like, I, I'm just so limited. I, I, you know, I just, I'm just one person who has been part of traditions because of, you know, the color of my skin, when and where I was born, the people I hung out with. I mean, all that kind of stuff. It, it just affects you after a while. And then you realize that's a part of it. But it, my own reality is colliding with the notions that I was taught. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, my my faith system was no longer an explanatory paradigm for me. It didn't explain my reality. It actually was a problem for it. And so I thought, well, if God is real, God has to be bigger than all this stuff. Okay. He has to be bigger than my questions. And, you know. Before I get to your water metaphor, you just said something. Um, it was actually a problem for it? What did you mean by that? Uh, what was the problem for it? Like, yeah, so my mind erases right after I say something. I have no recall of what I just said. You're not helping me at all. Like, you're making this really I hard. I know, I'm trying to, but it was literally 30 seconds question. ago, and I was ready to jump to the next, like, to follow back on something else you just said with the water well, thing. But then you said it was a problem. They're probably, probably listening, saying, You idiots. As Pete was saying this, okay. why, why can't okay. I have you remember? Okay, what well, here's saying. what I'm going to say. Earlier, before at the beginning of that rant, you talked about like you were in the waters ankle deep and then it got deeper and deeper and that you didn't put it in your book. Part of the reason that I, I'm glad you didn't is because that was the whole metaphor for my first book about deconstruction, which is like you mm-hmm. start on the shore and then eventually you find out you get in the water and it's not water that's trying to drown you. It's water that's I'm trying sure to save you. I'm sure that's where I heard yeah, it. exactly. And it just came to me now because I'm talking with you. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly why. You know, it's ironic Don't is know. that a certain... <laughs> a certain editor for you might have worked with that I'm not going to say his name, but I'm sure, um, uh, you know, M- Mickey Mantle probably was his favorite baseball player uh, for certain reasons. Um, said when, he, when my agent pitched, he goes, "Ah, this is like we've heard this before. Like we've heard this deconstruction story before." And uh, they pass on like idiots, and someone else, you know, paid for it, which I, I like them a lot more. But what I've <laughs> thought about is. The critique was partly because of the, the, you know, just the zeitgeist of writing eight years ago where like the idea of, you know, white pastor at a church goes through deconstruction. That was a very common story that was being written, which now that I think about it, I feel like there should be something that's normative about that because what we're trying to describe is, wait a minute, a a lot of us have gone through this and it's not Mm -hmm. the end of faith. It's not like deconstruction that leads into atheism, which I've... I, I don't go and 
on Twitter to get after people like you do, like you're more like get after it. I kind of just don't do that anymore. But the one time I had yeah. like three years ago, there was a guy who's like, um, he quoted an author who's been on my podcast before who said, uh, progressive Christianity is a waiting room for atheism. And I want to be like, that's, that's a little bit, that's like saying, you know, conservative Christianity is a waiting room for, you know, the KKK or, or, you know, right. Right. It's right. just, it's just, ridiculous um but well, it's it's simplistic yeah 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 well, so it's... but but sometimes we think that you can't maintain the heart of christianity and the heart of what you've learned from jesus by being able to go through something that people have all gone through to find a better understanding of the god that we believe was like that i believe was revealed in the person of jesus and i think that we're mm -hmm. all people who are trying to be israel wrestling with god to try to figure out how we relate to god in the world Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think, and that's the normalcy of that. You know, now I, I would, I'm sort of shocked that people don't see it, but of course there were times in my life when I didn't see it either. So, and things had to happen. But you know, I do, I, I, I do confess, uh, like you, I do get a little irritated with people who really don't have a right to speak into this because they're they're nowhere near it. They just know that this thing that people keep talking about is threatening. And we don't like it, and we have to sort of double down on our apologetics and say things like, you know, to deconstruct is unbiblical. And then they'll find a couple of verses about never wavering in unbelief. And then I say, have you ever read Lament Psalms? They have a different perspective on this, yeah. you know. So I think there's plenty in the Bible to support a lot of things, and I don't think it should be proof text anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I do – and I think – I'm just seeing online that – People who are talking about this experience that we've had, they're just not taking that crap anymore. <laughs> These yeah. people, they're just, they're doubling down on them. And, um, you know, the Theobro phenomenon, I guess we're talking about here, uh, where, um, you know, young men, especially with testosterone in their 20s, who have learned a bit and are bright, and they've been able to put pieces together in a certain way that makes sense to them, they can't see that anybody else, that everybody else doesn't do it exactly the same way. And it's like, I, you know, without being condescending, I thought that 40 years ago. Yeah. But I've had now two thirds of my life, you know, since then. And there are reasons for why I have moved. And that's sort of what this book is about. Here are my reasons. Here's what I did. Here's what happened. And here's why I, I'm thinking differently than I did at various stages in my life. And they don't have the right to critique that on the basis of the Bible as if I've never read it and other people as if they've never read it. They're not familiar with this. So like, oh, there's a verse. Wow, that changes everything. I had no idea that verse was there. Now, I know the verse is there, but that doesn't mean it connects with me, you know? Mm -hmm. And 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 I have to account for um, – I, I frankly have to account for my own humanity in the spiritual life. It's not just you, I have to plug into a certain, you know, slot or something like that, and then it's fine. It's more I I have to take seriously – well, you mentioned before incarnation. You know, I have, to, I have to take seriously that God, I think, actually values humanity 
at who we are and our experiences. Again, forgive me for beating a dead horse, but we keep seeing this in the Bible. We have different personalities living at different times, different places, saying different things about God. They contradict each other. Not really. Well, they do, but that's not even the point. The point is that they're seeing God differently at different moments, and we can learn something from all those portraits, mm-hmm. I think. You know, and and I just, to me, that gives so much freedom. You know, it, it it's not... It takes the stress away. Like, yeah. am I getting it right? Like, no, of course you're not getting it right. Who's getting it right? Yeah. It definitely. <laughs> not too many people. Yeah. There was a younger iteration of Luke who really felt like he had to get it right. And, and maybe even more pompously, like, I felt like I was pretty close to getting it right. And mm-hmm. there's nothing. I could say if I got in a time machine and went back 15, 20 years to that version of me, like there's nothing I could say to him to make him get to where, you know, I feel like God has brought me to at this point. And like my metaphor, which you stole of like being ankle deep or being on the shore and then drug into the deep water. Like at the time I would have felt like I was in the deep water and there's almost nothing that could have been said to me to conceptualize that the God who got you here will continue to work out what God Mm -hmm. is doing inside of you until like, I believe there's some, like at one point I believe I will arrive. It just isn't right now. And it's not until maybe I step into the great unknown of the, you know, the the next age or something. I I don't know. But so it's almost like this like impossible conversation where you go, like, have you ever seen two people who just don't speak the same language and you're like, you're both in the room. (laughs) And like, if you're an American, you're just going to talk louder and slower and think that's right. going to solve the fact that the other person is speaking <laughs> like Portuguese. And it doesn't matter if you say it really loud and really slow, it doesn't make it yeah. Portuguese. It, like, it's not going to happen. But <laughs> w- I feel like that's what we're doing. It's just like, yeah, no, yeah. You're, w- right. we're never going right. to understand each other. And so as much as we want to learn from the wider community, it's just like uh, we're talking past well, each other. But I think, you know, to use that analogy, until that person realizes there are a lot of Portuguese people out there yeah. and you start realizing, Oh, this is a whole thing. And then maybe you start seeing your own existence somewhat relative to theirs, you know, and basically it, it, the, the pain introduces some humility, yeah. I think. And, um, and, you know, I think we could all use some humility, you know, and I think the most humble people know they need to keep being humble and, and, and it's sometimes easy to forget that. And I think younger people, understandably, um, are, are sometimes too concerned with conquering the world, which uh, a lot of us do when we're young. And mm-hmm. it's, again, that's understandable. I'm not, I'm not saying, how dare you be a 22-year-old? You know, that's not the point. But it's like, I, I think the internet has not been good for this because everyone has a voice. Everyone, even you, has a podcast. Everyone. Hold on. Hold does, on. You know, I was like, here before you. Don't act like. I know. I am your. Okay. <laughs> no, Here's, I before, know. Luke, before Luke was, I am. That's why I no, look at before it. So the I, Bible I was for, there. No, even if I wasn't no, there. Before the Bible for normal people, <laughs> I was there, right? Yeah, I know. I helped. Sp- okay, I, that was a cheap shot. I didn't mean. I'm just joking. It was. We're, it was we, a cheap we, shot. Folks. Luke and I like to banter. We're both Yankee fans. We'd like to banter. We're fine. So, no, um, I'm in an abusive relationship with Pete. He continues to abuse me. <laughs> and this is my cry for help. Help. Someone help me. Help me. 
Okay, so what's you're. That hand, what's that hand signal you're doing right now, Luke? <laughs> you're trying to get some I'm, not, I'm not asking for a curveball from the pitcher. I can tell you that much. Okay, my <laughs> ultimate hope for you, says Pete, is that you will find something here that will help you come to find a better God as you handle whatever curveballs you face. That's your hope for Pete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. When, Anything else you want to say? I was getting. I was setting People, up my final question, but you, there is a cat. People don't see that, but there's a cat's butt in my face. This is Marmalade, and she senses when I'm on an interview because she wants to be a part of it desperately. Yeah, so. your, your cats have shown up all the time. I feel like I I know. Seen Marmalade's them. an internet sensation, which is unintentional because their ego is just like, you know, off the walls over here. So aren't you Marms? Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah, go ahead. What was your question? Someone has gone through something that has yeah. left them unnerved. The ground underneath their feet has started to shift and change. What they've leaned upon to get through life up until now seems like mm-hmm. it's no longer sturdy. Right. And they don't want to give up on faith. Right. What is your word yeah. to them to tell them to not give up? Well, I think, I mean, you know, there's no Pollyanna thing here. Um, I think it is hard. And I think it probably needs to be hard because if it's not hard, the lesson is not going to sink in. And that sounds harsh and maybe unrealistic and unfeeling. But, you know, I I have been through my own and I've talked to too many people in my life who have been through similar experiences. And it's, it's exactly that desert time, which for some people can take weeks and other people months and even years. That's part of where we're able to start pressing reset on things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, not giving up on faith, I, I would say that, first of all, where you are is a normal place. Mm-hmm. And many people have experienced it and don't think like you're broken because you have a faith crisis, because mm-hmm. people have faith. You know, if you're a thinking person who's aware of reality around you, you're going to have a faith crisis at some point. That's just the way it is. And the faith crisis to me is an indication not that this isn't real. It's an indication that we can't sit still where we are. Mm-hmm. And and I do think those moments are, are moments of mercy even and grace. At least I can, I've interpreted them that way in my life. And um, I, again, I can't stress enough. I've said this earlier, but being around people who are wise and who understand that. And for some people, that means an online community. Mm -hmm. For other people, it means a church community. For other people, it means just people to hang out with you can talk to. It might mean a really good spiritual director. It might mean a therapist. It might mean a team of therapists for some of us. (laughs) You know, um, it, it, it it can take various forms, but I think the human connection it just makes you feel less isolated, yep. you know, and, and to have friends, you can friends who understand faith and friends who will let you say, I don't know if I believe anything anymore. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, what's going on? You know, I'm not like, Oh, yep. Oh no, that's horrible. You know, Oh my goodness gracious. Don't, don't say that again. God might hear you, yep. you know, kind of thing. And so I just I think community for me has is very very big. Yeah, community is very big. I've I've had that conversation uh, enough times where someone just needed to go. Hey, Luke, I, I see you talk on stage about God, and I see you, you know read the Bible and all those. Um, 
I think this, and they just need like it's almost like going to a, a priest for absolution. Yes. I just go right. You're not alone. It's okay, and right. I, like. I feel like a like arrogant jerk because sometimes I just say, hey, yeah. I wrote a book about my own struggles with faith. And so I'd kind of like you to read it. And there's no way to say, hey, would you read my book? Um, even if it's like, hey, I'm giving this copy for free. I'm not asking for money out of this. But just to go, yeah. I, it's my way to go, hey, I, I wrote this down. I, I put you know, 50,000 words to try to describe all that I went through just so you know you're, you're not alone in this. But we all need that. Like that's right. it's, it's We a, all need it. We that's all need right. that. Yeah. Um, if you're not a baseball fan, you can turn the podcast off right now. We're going to end by doing this. Um, in light of the theme of the book being baseball, the metaphor, I would like you to assign a New York Yankee player to different books that you've written that represent the spirit of the book. And, you know, there's a lot of baseball players over the years. We want just Yankees. Um, and I want you to just say, like, which player you think really encapsulates the spirit of the book. If you would like to start with this most recent book with that, we can do that. Or I have other books that you've written in mind that I could start with. What would you like me to do? So uh, present or past players? You know, I mean, our listeners are not all as old as you. So we don't like, we don't want to go like super far back, but like, okay. Not 1920s. No, probably not that. Um, I don't know. Luke, of all the questions I've ever heard you ask on a podcast, this may be one of the dumbest <laughs> questions I have ever, ever heard you ask, but I'll do my best. So, okay. Um, don't act like you don't like this question. Well, the thing is, see, the thing is baseball players make a living by living within a system. Go to first base and play that and do it right. There's one way to do it, do it right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I'm looking for like voices and players that burst things. Okay, so maybe Kurt Flood, right? Kurt Flood okay. um, is somebody who lost his career because he challenged the system. Okay. Right? So that's one example. Um, I think. So, so that's this book. That's, yeah. This book's it's sort Kurt of Flood. like all of them. Oh, come I on. Write, I write the same book several times. <laughs> let's face it. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so that's this one, but it's, you know, it's also, you know, um, uh, the Bible tells me so, yeah. sort of like that, like saying yeah. this system is broken, mm -hmm. you know, except now I'm talking more about God. And back then I'm talking about Bible. the Bible, yeah. you know, so, I mean, I think, you know, other players like, again, you know, not to pander, but Jackie Robinson, you know, who, who you know, broke the color barrier, who put up with a lot. Mm-hmm. To change the system, right? The way that it your book to be is the changed. Jackie Robinson of books. That's yeah. exactly what he said. <laughs> Again, it's just you know people can think worse of me than they already do for making that kind of an analogy. Like I have the right to say this, but um, but I think yeah, I'm thinking of other players who have like what? tried to change the game, not because they're weird, you know, but because of just how they approach the game. I get one of my favorite players in the entire history of baseball is Hank Aaron. Mm -hmm. I just think the man was just a model of just emotional strength and integrity mm -hmm. and just the kind of person you want to hang around. Is that why you and I are friends? Because you've said that I remind you of Hank a lot. I didn't ever understand what you meant by that. <laughs> now, now you know why. Okay. Um, so I, I think, you know, it, it's, it has actually I, – I, I do appreciate the question. It's a hard one for me because – 
I think the world of sports and the world of religion is such different universes. Yeah. You know, you just you just um, some people change the game after they leave. You know, they try to make uh, changes and, and rules and and how people are treated and and um, you know the whole thing with baseball players uh, and free agency that started really in the 1970s. That's changed the game tremendously. Sure. And yeah. some people say for the worse, but uh, it could also be for the better because. If there's money in there, it should go to the players probably and not to the owner's pockets necessarily. Yeah. But but some people, you know, they they got a hard time for that too. So mm-hmm. um, so in, in, that, in that sense, you know, you could say that baseball is the system that is fun. But every once in a while, people come around, they remind you there are flaws here that need to be addressed for the good of the game mm-hmm. and for the good of the people in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The correct answers uh, were as follows. Um, Inspiration and Incarnation is obviously your Aaron Judge. Uh, I feel like that one, like it just had a long career. It's, it's, you know, in some ways this prototypical build your career on kind of thing. Um, Your Exodus commentary is your Brett Garner. It's scrappy. It just stayed around, you know, got a long time (laughs) career. Um, The, um, the, the Bible tells me so is your Araldus Chapman, um, like this last year, um, it just fell apart. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I wish I would have spent time developing that. I just came up with that at the end of the show. I wish I would have devoted a solid 30 minutes last night to working that out. Yeah, no. But anyway, Pete, uh, congrats yeah. on the new book. Uh, when does it actually Thanks, come man. out? When's the release date? Yeah, the release date is February 7th. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll put this out, uh, next week. Wait. Yeah. Yeah, next week, right before. Perfect. That's great. Yeah. A week from tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. A week from tomorrow. Perfect. Yeah. I'll have yeah. it out uh, right before then. But uh, anyway, Pete, it's cool. always good to see you, man. Thanks for the time. Same here, bud. Take care. All right. Don't hang up. Don't hang up. You know better than that.